0: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Ephesians.
1: love is calling, opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you every sunrise. A lot of times people refer to the Holy Spirit as an it. He is not an it because he has emotion. That's why Paul says, do not grieve the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God can be grieved. And when is the Spirit of God grieved? When we're living lives that are contrary to God's ways. It grieves the Holy Spirit. He sees. He knows. So we want to please Him, don't we? So we want to please Him. So live a life that glorifies Him, not a life that would grieve Him.
0: The Holy Spirit is one with Jesus and God. They make up one being, and He cares for us deeply. He was sent as a comforter. That's what Jesus told His disciples before ascending into heaven. He didn't say He was sending His Spirit to convict us or pressure us. He said He would come to comfort us. As Pastor Gary will point out in today's message, It's not that the Holy Spirit doesn't reveal our sin to us or prod us towards actions that glorify Him, but His main job is to bring peace to our hearts. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Ephesians chapter 4 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
1: When we leave our mind unguarded and when we just entertain whatever we want in our thoughts we actually are giving place to the potential that it leads to sin because our actions will follow what we first think about we have to train our minds we have to renew our minds we have to take captive every thought and we have to decide with a new attitude about things i'm not going to go there i'm not going to do that I'm not going to hang with that person and we have to make those kind of decisions now I know, some of you might say well you know that's the thing I some of you who are skeptical about Christianity you're like it's the thing I don't like about Christianity it's a bunch of rules I can't go there I can't hang with this person anymore I don't do this don't do that you know okay let, let me ask it. I mean, seriously, there was a guy who came to me years ago, and he's like, my, tr- my trouble with Christianity is, you know, don't do this, don't do that, don't, don't go here, don't go there. This was a guy who was a user and a dealer who had served jail time and had no job. And I looked him straight in the, in the eyes, and I said, well, how's it been working out for you so far? <laughs> I mean, the idea is, if you want to be able to do what you want to do, how's that working out for you? Okay, But if you want to live for the Lord, it means there's going to be some things that you decide, I I ain't doing this anymore. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not going there anymore. Because you want to live for the glory of God. So take captive every thought. Renew your mind. The best way to renew your mind is how? You're going to read the Bible. You're going to renew your mind by reading the Word of God and allowing it to just bathe your mind and saturate your thoughts. I heard this old Sunday school rhyme As a kid, sow a thought, reap an action, sow an action, reap a habit, sow a habit, reap a character, sow a character, reap a destiny. And it all begins in our minds. The fourth thing that we see here in the the list that he's given us here is number four, the new life lives like God in righteousness and holiness. Look at verse 24 again. And to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. He says, put on the new self. God is righteous. In other words, God does all things right. And God is holy. Meaning everything about him has moral excellence. And God wants his children to live like their dad. So we are to follow after the example of God, living in righteousness and in holiness. Not as, verse 17, not as the Gentiles, not as those who don't know the Lord, not as those who are alienated from God, who just indulge the sensual nature and have a continual lust for more, but to live as men and women in righteousness and in holiness, striving always to do what is right and to live lives of moral excellence and purity number five the new life is about new speech look at verse 25 therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor for we are all members of one body and then he he emphasizes speech again down in verse 29 if you'll jump to verse 29 he says do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen so we got to be careful about our speech and as Christians we have to watch our mouths we have to put off lies we have to speak truthfully now i did a little research on why experts think we lie and I would ask for a show of hands who who lies, but if you didn't raise your hand, then you you would automatically (laughs) be raising your hand anyway. So no sense in asking for a show of hands. But according to experts, we lie for three main reasons. Here they are. Fear, manipulation, and pride. Fear, manipulation, and pride. In In the category of fear... The article says, we tell lies when we are afraid, afraid of what we don't know, afraid of what others will think, afraid of what will be found out about us. But every time we tell a lie, the thing we fear grows stronger. People can be so afraid of what might happen if they told the truth. Maybe they have done something wrong and are afraid of the consequences of their actions, so they lie to cover up what they did. And then again, another reason for lying is manipulation. Lies are typically motivated by a desire to get other people to either do something or not do something or to make a decision in the favor of the person doing the lying. In other words, we will use lying to manipulate people for our benefit. And then the third reason for lying is pride. Many times a person will lie because of pride. They use it for nothing more than a tool to create a favorable image of themselves. Often people will create fascinating yet completely false stories to improve their image. So lying can be a problem. Now, I read this other interesting point by experts, that men lie no more than women, but men tend to lie to make themselves look better, while women are more likely to lie to make the other person feel better. Oh, that's a special kind of lie. (laughs) So, I I won't keep going there at all, but anyhow. But notice again, also in verse 29, about no unwholesome talk, but only what is edifying to build others up. So it's not only what not to say, it is what we should say. So, you know, again, our speech is not simply about don't say this, don't say that. There's guidance there in verse 29 about what we should say. We should say what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So may our speech be edifying of others. Number six on our list, the new life does not let anger become sin. In verse 26, he says, in your anger, do not sin. And then he adds, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. So he talks here about anger. It's interesting, um, in the Greek, the word for anger is orgizo, but the word that he uses is and so it's an, it's, uh, it's an accentuated kind of anger. We're talking about rage here. Not all anger is sin, okay? Even Jesus got angry when he drove the money changers out of the temple because they had turned the house of God, a house of prayer, into a den of thieves, a den of robbers. They made it just a place of merchandising. And Jesus was angry. I mean, you you, you got to be a little ticked off to fashion a whip, right, and then to drive people out. So he was angry. It's righteous indignation. Not all anger is, is sin. Not all anger is wrong. If somebody harmed your family and you, you weren't angry about that, there'd be something wrong with you. So not all anger is sin, but anger that is unresolved and anger that has the potential to harm others is sin. So you can be upset about something or irritated about something, but don't let it become sin. Now, where exactly is that line? I mean, there, there, you can't have a textbook answer for that. It comes down to you and the Lord. And when you know, you've, I know when I've crossed that line. You should know when you've crossed that line. When it, when it goes from just being irritated to being angry. When you are either, you know, I mean, there's some physical, tangible evidences of when anger has become sin. You're punching holes in walls. Okay. You're cursing. You're berating somebody and you're doing even worse. You're physically harming someone. Okay. So when, when anger takes, you know, ratchets up from just being irritated to a place of sin, now, now you've, now you've got a problem. And he says here, don't let the sun go down on your sin. Now, what exactly does that mean? Especially for those of you, have you ever got, gotten into a marital conflict? We'll just call it conflict. Right? You've gotten into a marital conflict at like 5 p.m. And you're like, okay, the Bible says we've got to resolve this in an hour. <laughs> That's not literally what it means. It just means don't let a day go by without giving attention to this. Alright, so well, now that you know that, you, you can have an argument at five PM and think to yourself, well, I'm just gonna sleep on this and then I'm gonna wake up in the morning and I'll deal with it again later. I mean, you know, don't don't let it fester and don't let it you know go go into something more than it should. But it just means deal with it. Don't put it off, deal with it. And by and by the way, when it comes to anger, and I've I've heard people I've heard people say this kind of, well, I'm just Irish. <laughs> You know, and we can excuse a lot of things by saying, I mean, my dad swabbed his uh, saliva and sent it off to one of those companies and we did our DNA and you know, our DNA, we're Irish too. They brought this profile out to us. We trace our lineage back to an Irish King of Ireland, back to like the fourth century Neil of the nine names. And I'm looking up this guy and I'm like, well, who was this guy? You know, and this guy was a butcher. He went around killing all He was responsible for having St. Patrick killed my ancestors. I don't get to go around going, well, I'm related to Neil of the Nine Names. I'm just going to go killing you. You know, I don't, I don't get that. Liberty? What are we, we talking? Or people who are like, well, I'm just Italian, so I love the women. You don't get, like, liberty just because well, I blame it on this or I blame it on that. No, no, no. The new life, the new life does not let anger become sin. Number seven, <laughs> the new life is careful not to give Satan any opportunities. And that, that's what he adds there at the end of verse 27. And do not give the devil... A foothold. New King James says, "Don't give place to the devil." ESV says, "Give no opportunity to the devil." The word there, foothold, NIV or place or opportunity, is the Greek word. The Greek word topos. We get our English word topography. It's the idea of giving territory. Don't give territory to to the enemy. Now, the context in this particular context is anger becomes an open door to giving Satan opportunity to capitalize on something and make matters worse. In general, whenever we don't live like we should for the glory of God and we compromise in our lives, we actually are giving opportunity for Satan to come in and take advantage and make a situation that was bad worse. We always contribute to the potential for the enemy to work harder and worse in our lives when we are not walking in step with the Spirit. You can have somebody do something wrong to you and you give no place to the enemy. When you retaliate and do something wrong in response, now you've just opened a door. So be careful how how you live because every about our lives has the potential to close the door or open the door to the work of the enemy. I'm not talking about he's going to possess you. I'm just talking about the way that he'll get in there and he'll make things even worse and he'll distort this and he'll manipulate that and he'll deceive this and deceive that until matters are worse. So as a Christian, don't react or respond in an ungodly way because that would be giving Satan an opportunity. Number eight, the new life works hard And gives to others instead of taking from others. It's an interesting work ethic statement that he makes here in verse 28 where he says, He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his hands that he may have something to share with those in need. So the Bible teaches a strong work ethic, and I am persuaded that Christians should have the strongest work ethic than anybody else, because we're doing it as unto the Lord, and so we should be the best employees, and we should be the best employers, and we should have a really strong work ethic, and we should understand about working for an honest living. And the Bible says in 1 Timothy 5.8, he says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he, is, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And Titus, or sorry, 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. So there's, there's a strong work ethic in the Bible that we need to take to heart. And as Christians, living a new life means we work hard so we can be generous and give to others. We don't steal from people. We don't take from people. We have a strong work ethic and we're generous in response. Number nine, the new life does not do things that would grieve the spirit of God. That's verse 30. Where he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now notice, by the way, this verse is what we call a proof text of the Holy Spirit as a being, not as an impersonal force. A lot of times people refer to the Holy Spirit as an it. He is not an it because he has emotion. That's why Paul says, do not grieve. The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God can be grieved. And when is the Spirit of God grieved? When we're living lives that are contrary to God's ways. It grieves the Holy Spirit. He sees. He knows. So we want to please Him, don't we? So we want to please Him. So live a life that glorifies Him, not a life that would grieve Him. The Westminster Catechism that kind of encapsulated some of the important principles and doctrines of the faith. In the Westminster Catechism, it says man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Then the last one we see here in this chapter, number 10, is that the new life replaces bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander with kindness, compassion, and forgiveness toward others. And he even uses this phrase, as Christ has forgiven you. In verse 31, he says, get rid of, okay, make no concession, don't, you know, don't negotiate with the flesh. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. So he talks here, and some of your translations have different words here, but bitterness, Bitterness is, is an important thing. Bitterness and forgiveness are big, big matters to recognize. Bitterness, Hebrews 12.15 says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God, and that no bitter root springs up, causes trouble, and defiles many. That's Hebrews 12:15. When you are bitter about something or someone, bitterness will end up defiling others around you. Because when you become a poisonous well, People will end up drinking the same poison if they're around you. It's no wonder when someone is bitter why nobody wants to hang around you. People can spot bitterness in a moment. But unfortunately, most of the times we can't see it in ourselves. There's a sad passage in the Bible in the New Testament related to the death of John the Baptist. The death of John the Baptist was attributed solely to the problem of bitterness. It was the occasion when King Herod was throwing a big dinner party for a bunch of his guests. His wife's name was Herodias. She had a daughter. King Herod said to her daughter, why don't you go ahead and perform and dance for my dinner guests? If you do a good job, I'll give you up to half my kingdom, whatever you want, up to half my kingdom. She does a good job dancing. And then she calls the chips and she asks of King Herod, I have a request. He says, anything you want up to half my kingdom. She goes to her mother, says, mom, what should I ask for? And the Bible says that Herodias nursed a grudge against John the Baptist. Because, see, John the Baptist had spoken truth into King Herod and Herodias' life. Because King Herod had stolen Herodias, his wife, from his brother. And so John the Baptist had been confronting them about this. This is sin. You're living in sin. This is adultery. And the Bible says Herodias nursed a grudge against John the Baptist. And so she said to her daughter, why don't you go ask King Herod for the head of John the Baptist? And Herod had him beheaded and brought his head on a silver platter, all because somebody nursed a grudge. Bitterness. It's so destructive. Rage. It's, that's violent, uncontrollable anger. Anger is, we had talked about it a while ago, unresolved hostility that harms another, brawling. Some of your translations say clamor. It means to scream or to shriek, somebody who's always just yelling all the time, just angry, slander. Some of your Bibles might say evil speaking. It's the Greek word blasphemia. It's where we get our English word blaspheme. It's to vilify someone or to speak evil of them. And we are to replace all those things with kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. Forgiveness, kindness. Compassion. Out of all the things, when you study the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus' disciples came in and said, Lord, teach us to pray, and then he taught them that it was to be a model. It wasn't to be this rote prayer that you just recited all the time, but it was to be a model, a template of prayer. But the only thing that Jesus re emphasized in that model of prayer was the matter of forgiveness. Because in Matthew 6 14 and 15, after he teaches what we commonly call now the Lord's Prayer, he adds this. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. Now, don't take this to a degree that, that, you know, you and I stand as the vicar of Christ and we get to absolve people of their sins. What Jesus is saying there, he's emphasizing the one thing that he emphasized about the Lord's Prayer was the necessity to forgive others. And the reason he says, if you don't forgive, neither will your father in heaven forgive you, is because if you cannot accept or receive something that you cannot extend. And therefore, if you don't extend forgiveness, you are actually elevating yourself higher than God is. Because when God chooses to forgive someone and you say, I will not forgive them, you've actually now positioned yourself higher than the authority of God. And how can God forgive you then? If you are usurping his own authority yourself. In other words, it's not that God can't do something because he can do anything he wants. But we now position ourselves outside of the realm of God's forgiveness. When we usurp his authority, position ourselves above him because we decide not to forgive others. Everybody understand this? Forgiveness is a process, though, friends. It is not necessarily something you exercise once when someone has hurt you tremendously. It is something that you decide to do every day, potentially, until you are eventually free. I remember reading once Corrie Ten Boom, many of you are familiar with her. She was one who survived a Nazi prison camp because she and her family had sheltered Jews during World War II. And she then began to go around to different churches and speak. And one of the subjects that she spoke about was forgiveness because the rest of her family was killed in the Nazi concentration camp. She was the sole survivor from her family. And of course, you can imagine the bitterness and the unforgiveness that would take over any person's soul in a situation like that. She compared forgiveness like a bell in a church bell tower. She said, you know, there's a rope that comes down from the bell tower, and you you pull the rope in order to make the bell ring in the tower. And she said, the idea of forgiveness is to let go of the rope. Now... Even after you let go of the rope, the momentum of the bell will still swing for a while and you're still going to hear the sound. So I can't control how long it continues to sound, but I can control how many times I pull the rope. Forgiveness is a discipline of our faith that we exercise. And we forgive, how does he say? As Christ has forgiven that's the kind of forgiveness He wants us to exercise.
0: We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection as we explore the book of Ephesians together. With all that is going on in the world today, this letter resonates deep. It dives into the core of all that is wrong with the world—selfishness. We as people can't help but want things our way and on our time. But Jesus taught to love deeper than that. He taught to live beyond your own desires. Paul, a man who once lived recklessly for himself, wanted those in Ephesus to understand what Jesus taught. He wanted the believers to not get caught up in their own wants and ways but to see the bigger picture. Paul called for unity, just as Jesus did. That's what community should be. Is it always easy? No. Is the reward great? Yes. If you're looking to be a part of a community of believers who have this as their mission, then we'd love to meet you in person at Cornerstone Chapel. We meet Sunday mornings at 8.30, 10, and 11.45, as well as Wednesday nights at 7, so you have options. Head over to cornerstoneconnection.cc to find out more details as to where we meet and when. Again, that is cornerstoneconnection.cc. With that, we hope you'll join Pastor Gary next time, right here on Cornerstone Connection.
1: They say you're a wandering soul, that you've got no place to go, but still you know.